Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Anthony Joyner, founder of Bluxy, and he will share with us his journey of coming up with a SaaS idea, pre-selling the product, developing an MVP, having to switch developers in the middle of it, and even having to start over, and finally having dozens of paying users sign up, and he's just won $120,000 at a startup competition, no equity given away here, as, as I recall, and uh, he will share with us his journey. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Victor, for doing this. I'm happy to be here, man. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Why don't you tell everybody a bit about your background? Because this is not an idea you've just had in your, in your in your head, essentially, but you have an existing running business. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? I'll just stick to the relevant stuff because there's a lot there. But I spent probably uh, close to 20 years in corporate America as a software project manager, software business analyst. I know how to do wireframes and things like that. So a bit of experience on the design side. And once I left corporate America, I started a digital marketing agency, which gave me experience in the marketing world. So I did that for people and media. So TV personalities, radio personalities, actors. So it sort of introduced me into that world. And uh, one of the things that I did very early to position myself in the market was I wrote books just on whatever the topic that I was talking about. So wrote a few books. And what happened is after the third one, so the first book took 18 months to get done, just figuring things out. But once I figured it out, the second and third one took probably six to eight weeks each because instead of doing it all myself, I hired ghostwriters <laughs> and I just documented the process. So uh, that sort of led to people asking me, hey, how are you doing You know, writing all these books? And um, I'll fast forward a little bit. So eventually I started uh, coaching people through the process of writing books. I was very hands-on doing workshops and eventually I did webinars. And uh, fast forward a little bit further, I was doing traveling across the country, doing something called Books Across America. So I go to different cities, uh, do one, two or three day workshops and uh, help people write and publish their books from a coaching perspective. Well, the pandemic happened, and I'm sure that's a narrative that we'll all hear for the rest of our lives. Everybody had to stop traveling and go indoors. So I created a Facebook group. I threw all my authors into a private Facebook group. I started doing online trainings, of course, and my mentor had told me probably two years earlier that I should start a publishing company. And I said, hell no, because I don't want to manage people. Um, I'd rather just help people find the resources so that they can do it. Well, more and more, the author started asking me, hey, can we just pay you to help us publish the book? So I ended up starting the publishing company. And very quickly, I realized that Number one, managing people is hard, right? Because as a publisher or a person who owns a publishing company, you have these resources that you're managing, your, your editors and different types of editors. You have your illustrators um, and different types of illustrators. Then you have your customer service people that are doing the communication between the editors and the authors. And, you know, there's all this back and forth. And what the marketing world defaults to is sort of this kludgy solution of, It's a mixture of Asana and Dropbox and Trello and Google Drive and Google Docs and Microsoft Office. So there's all these different tools that everybody uses. And I sort of looked around and everybody was just doing it. So I had my own little solution 
But about one out of every 25 or so books would just go off the rails. And whether it was my fault, and I always took responsibility, but sometimes it wouldn't be our fault. We have authors who were using, here's the worst case scenario. We had one author who had literally typed her first draft in a series of emails. So chapter one was one email. Chapter two was another email. She she didn't even use Microsoft Office. So when we talked to her and she said, hey, my manuscript is ready. Um, I just need editing, et cetera. And we were like, hey, email us your manuscript. She sent us 14 emails and each email was a chapter of her book, <laughs> right? So now we have to take all those chapters, combine them, whatever. So fast forward some more. Um, I started asking myself after one particular project, why isn't there a tool that manages the entire publishing process, not just the writing process, because there are plenty of tools out there like Scrivener and a few more. Why isn't there something that manages the process end to end? So I started mapping it out. I pulled you know, out my old software project manager and business analyst hat, and I mapped out on my wall, what would it look like for an author to either upload or start their manuscript in a software platform, have the ability to hire an editor, hire illustrator, have the formatting already built into the tools so you didn't have to hire someone to come in and do the formatting, design a layout that was very familiar to a book, and have all the assets in one tool. Uh, started mapping it out, and uh, that's where Blixy was born. <laughs> so that night, I, I sort of, you know, went on Upwork, which is everybody's default. And since I had experience doing this, I sort of just found developers, and you know, found the developers and hired them. I did a little due diligence, not a lot, but their work looked pretty good. And we started actually actually doing mockups that night. I sent them all the screenshots. And uh, that's where it started, man. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's interesting how your sort of pivot due to COVID led you to even realize these inefficiencies. It's like you need to be really deep in the business, but then suddenly that becomes obvious, right? It's so funny. Like people all around, especially developers, people like me, were looking for these ideas of what to build, right? But they can be so obvious if you're just within an industry. And I see this all over where people with a software background, but mostly really deep in a specific niche, come up with these really cool workflow solutions that, that actually fulfill a need. So you prepared very well. You drew up. I mean, I, I saw that at least once uh, when we were speaking. Uh, you, you had in the background, you had this gigantic whiteboard and everything laid out. That was super awesome to look at. So this is how you prepared. You created uh, wireframes exactly as you should. That's perfect. How did you, did you somehow validate at this stage before you hired developers or did you, did you ask around? You know, I had my membership group already. So what I did even that night, and the, I remember the night like it was yesterday, I was doing all these mock-ups and I had the Facebook group, 250 plus people in there who had already worked with and probably over a hundred of the people in there, I had already helped publish. Right. So I just did a video and I put it in the group and I said, Hey guys, I've helped a lot of you guys publish books. We've had some projects that went really bad and you guys, you know, I always overcompensate when things go bad to try to at least save the relationships. But I said, listen, I want to build software to do this because it's all these different resources. I know, you know, your most important priority is having your book done and my most important my most important priority is making sure that you get that done but it's hard managing all these different resources and i started this publishing company to actually help you guys i didn't even want to start it <laughs> so i said you know if i build software that manages the process 
you know, would you guys consider using it? And I just started telling them on the video what I thought it should be. And then they started leaving feedback in the comments like, hey, could it do this? Could it do that? And a few days later, the first development team that I hired, they took my mock-ups and everything that I sketched out on the wall. And I, I actually used the software tool. I can't remember which one it was, but a free wireframing tool. And I did a little wireframe. And then they turned it into PDFs that actually look like software, right? Uh, so I put that in the group. Once they gave me those, I did another video and I shared the PDFs. And I was like, hey, this is the login screen. And this is what it would look like to add chapters. And I got feedback there. So every step along the way, I validated. But I knew the problem existed because, number one, I'd already written a book. So it was a pain in the butt. Then managing people through the process, I knew it was a pain in the butt for, for them. And then from the publishing perspective, I knew it was a pain in the butt because I had to manage editors and, and illustrators. Then it was also a pain in the butt for editors. Here's what I mean. So when authors in this particular case, when they're writing a book and they su submit it to be edited, well, if you're using, most people are still using Microsoft Word. Like that's just, I mean, that's just where we are, right? So if someone submits a book to me and my editor does, you know, the edits and they send it back to the author seven times out of 10, the author will look at the changes that the editor has made and either accept them or, or leave it the same. But then they will also go back to a chapter that was already approved and add more content there. So what happens is you get into this loop of the editors making changes that we've already approved because it's their book. You can't tell them not to. Right. So you get into this loop where you do your estimate based on one set of criteria. But then all of a sudden they're making changes that are outside of the scope. And when you explain to them like, hey, your changes and it's just like software, right? <laughs> You're you know, you keep requesting changes. <laughs> You're requesting changes that are outside of what we what we clearly defined. But you expect us to maintain the same deadline. Right. So but they never understood that. And rightfully so. Right. Because their customers, they don't know that they just think, hey, I'm just adding one paragraph. Right. But now the editor has to read that paragraph in context with the whole book. So there was this process of, of sort of doing it iterative, iteratively and getting feedback along the way from the people that were in my membership group. So I knew the problem intimately. And then I had a test group of people who could give me real time feedback. That's awesome. And so I'm not surprised this has worked out so well for you. But what hasn't worked out quite that well was your first iteration of uh, development. How, how did that go? Well, it started out swimmingly. <laughs> um, so I found a team. And again, when you're on Upwork, you know, you kind of get what you pay for. So I was everywhere. As everywhere. As, as everywhere, right? And, and again, it's not a knock on Upwork. But I, I, I looked out and, you know, of course, you look at you people's work history and you look at their reviews uh, and then you sort of do an interview. So it started out, you know, everything is going uh, really well. And, you know, the initial PDF that they made based on my sketches and my wireframes, they, they did really well with that sort of standing up a bare bones, sort of a click through prototype. They did that. But then as we continued development, after probably three weeks, I realized that we were doing two meetings a week and the meetings would started to sound the same. Hey, we're doing things. You're not going to notice a change on the front end because we're doing things behind the scenes that you won't see right away. Right. So, again, I had experience doing this already and I know that does happen. Right. But and we get an update and we say, hey, these are the things that happen behind the scenes. But after about the third week, I said, hey, you know, this has been going on a while. 
I'm paying, you know, 40 hours a week for, you know, all this work, but nothing's, I don't see anything. By now I should start to see things. They assured, you know, I got the the project manager and then sort of the program manager got on the call and they're like, yeah, we promised, you know, things are going just behind the scenes. But now, you know, my attention, you know, what you focus on, you can kind of manage a little bit better. So now it's like, okay, well, we need to ramp up the meetings too. We need to check in every day, at least for 15 minutes so that I can see the progress. And, you know, they initially, they were like, okay, so the next day they were on the meeting, but then they're like, hey, we can't meet today because of X, Y, Z. And then they kept postponing meetings. And so finally, I I don't even remember, I think, oh, here's what I did. And, and this is very important for anyone listening. Whenever I take on a different challenge, I immerse myself into that world. And here's what I mean. I went out and I, I found software groups on Reddit. Then I went and I joined software groups on Facebook. I went and I joined software groups on LinkedIn. I set my settings in Quora to get updates from software groups. I have a few apps on my phone that I get notifications from. I set it to, I wanted to get software updates so that I could understand what's going on in the world, best practices, and sort of surround myself with other experts. Because although I did it in corporate America, I wanted to be immersed in what was happening at the at the current moment or, or how things were going then. So now all of a sudden I'm building software, but all the signals that are coming into me on every platform, they're all software because, you know, the algorithm works is what you search for. You see more of. Right. And I understood that. So now my timeline was full with SaaS people. Right. And Reddit is SaaS and my my email. I've signed up for email newsletters. Right. So I put a signal out in one of the groups and I said, hey, so I've been working with this team now for about two months and it seems things have stalled. But, you know, if any of you guys ran into something like this and I saw an interview that you did in one of the groups, I can't remember which one it was, but you talked about how you were able to find talent in different countries and match the talent to the need of the um, person who needed software built. So you and I had a conversation and honestly, and, I'm, and again, I'm not overselling or anything like that, but really when you came in, you gave a lot of your time. You went and looked at the code. You looked at my wireframes. I explained the direction that I wanted to go, the vision. I kind of shared a lot of different things with you. And you, I mean, you told me the questions that I should ask. You showed the code to me that they were actually building. And you showed me that they really just built a shell. And there was maybe one or two lines of code. But, you know, it appeared to be a lot more than it was. But there was really nothing there. So then I called all hands on deck meeting with the other team. I paused everything. Then all of a sudden they started doing stuff. <laughs> They're like, oh, look what we did. And it literally all happened within like 48 hours. They built out all this stuff. And I was like, well, no, you know, we've already wasted, you know, this amount of time. The downside was, and, and again, it's a net positive, but the downside was all the money that I paid them from December up until the end of February, I won't say a dollar amount, but it was, it was pretty significant. I wasn't able to get any of the money back. And the other thing that I had someone on my team on Upwork, it tracks their work if you set it to record their screens. And I had someone from my team who sort of understood code go back and look at their work history. And what she pointed out was that they were spending most of their time Skyping with someone else, asking questions about what to do next and searching for solutions. But because I wasn't paying attention at that level, I missed a lot of that. So really... I paid for a very low level developer to learn on my dime. But 
fast forward to the positive. After you looked at the code and you told me that, hey, you probably should pause this. And again, you were you were very nice, <laughs> nice in the way that you did it. Uh, but you introduced me to, I think, maybe three teams initially, and then we narrowed it down to two. So I looked at the work from both of the teams and I understood how they operated. And I decided to go with one of your more boutique teams uh, because I could be more hands-on with not only the owner of the company, but the head developer. And now they've actually grown. So they took over that project the end of end of February, beginning of March. And within three weeks, they had taken the code that existed and they developed a working prototype that actually had a lot of functionality. And I was actually able to launch that prototype with paid users with very little functionality. I, I think initially I let 10 people in and all 10 of those people paid me 20 bucks because they just with that little bit of functionality, it added value to them. So very early on, I had, what was that $200 MRR? <laughs> um, because these are people that I had been communicating with from the beginning, right? So they were sort of anxious to see it. And they were really cheering me on because they understood that I was innovating in the space. And I showed my group sort of all the tools that were out there, the Scriveners and, you know, all the other tools that were out there and how mine was going to be different and and better even. So it worked out well. And and since literally since I've hired the team that you uh, introduced me to, things have just taken off, 100% taken off. And I feel like those, as a matter of fact, when I get an opportunity, I'm going to the Ukraine to actually just hang out with those guys. That's awesome. Yeah, you totally should because that really it's it's a tip that that we give literally everyone even though, you know, you're not really we work with a lot of Europeans and Americans. So obviously if someone's in Europe that's closer to Ukraine versus for you it's quite a flight, but we highly recommend that for everyone working longer with their team because that builds the in-depth knowledge, that builds this um communication in between the lines right you under you, you get each other with less documentation with less communication with less explanation you you built the ability to brainstorm a little bit more that all happens essentially over beers right um or whatever your preferred beverage is um beer <laughs> but in the end that that is a very impressive story i mean especially since you were able to really quickly launch something and validate it that's really, really awesome. And what I want to just point out at this point is that uh, during this entire process, especially in the beginning, because a lot of people do that, they look at code and they say, oh no, it's bad. We need to rewrite it. That's actually a fear that a lot of people have. I'm going to ask somebody else to look at what I have and they're just going to say, oh, you need to do it again. But when we were speaking in the beginning, I actually encouraged you to continue with your existing team to implement best practices, right? The stand-ups that you mentioned, looking at what's being pushed every single day and while well, noticing there isn't that much. And only that really led us to the realization that something needs to change and then we moved on with everything else. So I think that's just fair for everybody. And it's important to mention that just because things are going wrong, you don't need to throw everything overboard. And also with you, you were able to launch the existing thing initially and really validate stuff and reuse it. So that's awesome. But then you did do a rewrite, correct? I did. I did. And so again, your point is is really true. So I got in with the team and, you know, initially, you know, when they saw what the code that they were able to reuse, they did repurpose that. 
And we immediately, while they were doing that, I started to sort of mock up because now I had something to work from. And here's here's the difference, or here's the here's how the how it progressed. We started out with sketches. Then I did sort of a very high level wireframe. Then they built something, right? Now it gave me something that I could look at and understand how it worked. And now I, when I saw how it worked, I thought visually how it could be improved, right? So I had to have something to improve upon. So while we put the first version out and we had, you know, 10 people that were paying 20 bucks a month, I looked at it and I said, okay, I started to go to other, and again, this is just me because I'm sort of a digger. I started to dig up UI. I went to dribble.com and I started to look up UX and UI design. I went to icons eight and I started to look up UX UI designs. I, you know, I started Googling. I started to, I created a folder with all these different design layouts so that I could improve upon what we had uh, so that when I went to my new development team, I gave them three examples of designs that I loved. I found some other software that wasn't book writing or publishing software, uh, but I loved the way that it looked and the way that it was organized. As a matter of fact, Evernote was one of the examples that I gave them. So I showed them Evernote. And I was like, you know what? I like the way that this is organized and yada, yada, yada. So I gave them examples and then we were able to improve upon the initial MVP and launch with a totally new user experience, a totally new user interface. And the advantage that I had is that when we had the first working prototype, I did videos and I shared that not only with my group, but I shared it publicly on social media and I shared it on Instagram. So people saw the first version and they loved it. And I had people even, even more people, as a matter of fact, more people paid the 20 bucks a month for the first version. And I was able to sort of promote or roll out saying, hey, we're ha- we're going to have a totally different version with a totally new user experience, a totally new user interface. Um, so people were sort of anticipating this new release. And this is, uh, we, we call the first one alpha, right? So they were actually anticipating the initial private beta. So when we went into private beta, we went from 10 and we added probably 15 more users. So now I had 25 people paying 20 bucks a month for our beta, 10 people for alpha. And then we had 15 more people for beta. So we weren't even close to launching or we still haven't even launched really. So the private beta, we were at 25 paid users because I sort of brought them from the beginning and I brought them along the journey. So they were invested in seeing my success. They almost felt like it was there. As a matter of fact, and we'll get to this in a minute, even now I have people that are championing the software and connecting me with different people. And because they feel like I remember when this was an idea that AJ shared with me. Right. So they, and they're like, yeah, he had this idea and it was, he mocked it up. Even I actually helped ask them to help me come up with a name for it. (laughs) I didn't even have a name. So my group actually played a part in naming the software. Right. So it was bringing them along every step of the way. Uh, But then, you know, again, when you brought in the other team and we built the wireframe out, it just made, the anticipation of the release that much better. That's really interesting. Do you have that from from publishing, where where you built that anticipation to to a launch or something like that? Is that is that kind of in in parallel? Because it seems you you've done that very well. Yeah. So and, and and here's the other thing. I'm still looking at this as even though now we're over a hundred paid users, and this is still paying the twenty dollars a month. So I'm letting people know now we're in paid public beta. But I'm only letting 10, 5, 10 people in at a time. 
So everybody that's getting in, they're still excited because they're in before the thing goes live, even though it's technically live, right? So it's sort of this parallel, like bringing people along with you. And it's very similar to what people talk about when you listen to Gary Vee and, you know, all these guys and they're like, share the journey, share the journey. It was sort of doing some of that, but I wasn't thinking about it like sharing the journey. I was really thinking about it as getting real feedback from real people. And I wanted to know very early, would people actually pay for this? So I was very intentional about not letting people on for free because I want, you know, because again, every several people said, why don't you do free, let 300 people on free and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, no, I want to know if people will pay for this. And I was even willing to go down to like 10 bucks or even five bucks, but I started with 20. And since people didn't complain about it, and here's what people said, if it's less than a $20 bill, I'm not going to think about it. And that's the only feedback that I got. <laughs> they were like, hey, it's less than a $20 bill. I'm not going to think about it. So I was like, okay, well, $20. And that's where we've been, right? So now I think I haven't looked at the numbers today. I actually had about 11 people sign up yesterday. But so that will put us around 135 users. And again, this is still beta, right? So I have a waiting list. I think we have about 700 people on the waiting list that I haven't even sent an email out to. We have uh, our Instagram account. We're doing some LinkedIn sort of gray hat stuff on LinkedIn. Um, but, but again, we're targeting people who are C-suite executives who are interested in writing and publishing books. And again, with the tool that we're using, we're able to market directly with them with their email address. And we're, we, we're planning to launch a podcast called Front Matter, where we're interviewing people, talking for 10 minute interviews with people who are executives to ask them about not only their book, but then share the process of writing their book, right? So the first part, we're focusing on them. The second part, we're focusing on the process. So that way we can plug Booksy in, right? Um, we're also going to you know, sponsor book writing podcasts. So we have all these different things that we're working on along the way. But again, I think the biggest takeaway here is start sharing early as possible. Um, what I've seen in a lot of the groups are, are people who have these tools that are already built and now they're looking for customers. I've seen that so many times and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't imagine having spent, you know, a year building something. And, and, but I've done that before, right? I've done that with a course. I spent a year making a course and then nobody bought, I think two people bought it, right? So if you're thinking about this, find Facebook groups that have your target audience very early. Don't go out and develop a full tool, a complete tool, do a wire, do a PDF, do a landing page with a mock-up of what your software is going to do and ask people to sign up. MailChimp is free. Set up a MailChimp you know, landing page and go to Fiverr and get someone to mock up a box with your software on the front of it, a mock-up of what it would look like and see if people would be willing to pay and say, hey, I'll let you guys in for a dollar. And when it launches, you know, it'll be $5 a month, something. But get validation from the audience first. I can't stress that enough because just because you see something as a problem doesn't mean that it's a problem that people are willing to pay for. The so-called problem worth solving, right? It might be a problem, might not be worth solving. Very, very good insight, and you're you're 100% spot on with this. Uh, your benefit, of course, being having your own community. This is invaluable. What also a lot of other people say is, and, and I, I, I like that approach, is to well, of course, build a community first, but how do you build a community just for fun? You're, you're not really going to do that. But what a lot of people say is, you know, your first business doesn't have to be a SaaS, right? It can be essentially 
what you did, right? A service, a productized service. And from that, you, you gain insight, you gain connections, you can ask people. It's invaluable when you've been in business for a few years and you think of something and you can just open up email and you, you, from the top of your head, you know, five to 10 people you can ask this about. This is invaluable. And a lot of people just starting out don't have it. So yeah, your first business doesn't have to be SaaS, but when it is having that community is, uh, it makes all the difference. Do it manually first. I think that if there's an opportunity, I mean, if it's an API or something that where it's, you know, really technical, that's one thing. But even then, there may be an opportunity to do it manually. And if you can do it manually and people will pay for you to do it as a service, then see if you can automate pieces of it. Right. Because right now, what we've launched to the world, people can only go in and create a book and write their content in there and do their transcription, speak their book into the software. But they can't export it right now. They can't publish it. They can't do any of that. But they're happy because they have a very small piece of functionality that's valuable to them. So and this is we July 29th, I think, was when we did our sort of private public beta. Right. And people have been paying for it. You know, this is what, September, October. So it's only a couple of months, but people are happy with just that small piece of functionality. Right. So now I'm having to ask myself the question, OK, what is the next most important feature that we need to build that will help them? Because I have this huge roadmap, but I don't want to make the mistake that I'm warning you guys against making and go and build out all these features because I think they're cool. Um, so I'm being very intentional about what is the next step in the process that will be helpful to them. So again, do it manually first if possible, and then productize your service and then see if you can automate that product. And that works surprisingly well. Of course, not for every idea. You can't do it for every idea, but we've uh, for for a different big SaaS uh, that, that would have been a huge software initially, we have actually built a 12-person data entry team in Eastern Europe that is just manually doing behind the scenes what the software might likely deliver almost instantly. But in this case, instant wasn't so important as long as it was done within a few days. It made no difference. And so instead of developing software for three years with an entire team, so this was really a complex requirement, they were able to start with just two, three people who were able to get running immediately with a landing page and just learn from existing customers, build that rapport. So this is this is an amazing approach. Uh, but for you, it ended up being a big success. Now you, you don't just have 123 paying customers at the moment, but you've also won a startup competition. What, which one is that? Again, the part of the immersion, uh, immersing yourself into the audience that you're serving, you start to learn more things that are going on in the marketplace. So I started to see these different pitch competitions where VCs or even sometimes it would be grants, right? You you present your slide deck and some, you know, initially this started out as me just mailing in a deck. So I had to put together a deck to say, what's the problem I'm solving? And you can Google that and find your decks. But it was a deck. I submitted it to this competition. They said, hey, we're going to, it's 120 grand. And, you know, it's going to be, it ended up being hundreds of people from all across the United States. So I submitted my deck and, you know, it was probably the second uh, competition that I entered. And uh, I got confirmation that, hey, out of the few hundred, you made it to the top 25. So I was like, oh crap. <laughs> so I was happy about that um, because I bootstrapped everything right from the beginning. So 
when I made it to the top 10, they were like, okay, so here are the next steps. You know, now you have to actually pitch. So I had to get on and it was just like we're doing now as a video conference. So I pitched and then I found out the next day I made it to the top 10. Uh, so at that point, they they brought you in front of other venture capitalists, like it was this huge panel type situation. And I made it to the top five and then they offered coaching. So when you made it to the top five, they brought pitch coaches in. There were VCs, marketing people, public speaking people, all these different people to help you hone your pitch. And you did your final pitch. It's called startupshowdown.vc. You guys can go there if you have a software idea and you want to pitch it, but it was for equity. So it was a Y Combinator. If you guys are familiar, it's the same rules of Y Combinator uh, where they take a percentage of your company. But this has been great. And here's what I would recommend. They send you the Y Combinator contract, which is a very sort of rudimentary, basic entry level type contract. But because I already had traction, because I already had a roadmap of where I was going with or without them, I was able to negotiate their initial deal. Initially, it was 20K for 6%, which valued my company at $333,000. So we renegotiated the deal and I ended up getting 120K, the entire amount for 7%, which values my company at $1.7 million. And it's, you know, initially it was it was 20K and then the other 100K was a safe note, right? So again, I was able to increase the value of my company because I had traction and I was able to show them like when I pitched them in the beginning, it was the beginning of July, but it was the end of July, middle of August when I made it to the top five. And in that time I had gone, gone from 25 users to 50 or so users or something like that at the beginning of August. Yeah, 50 or so users. So my MRR was now, you know, whatever that is, a thousand bucks a month, which is 12 grand a year. Right. And I had this waiting list and I said, listen, you know, and even actually during the negotiation phase, we've added even more users. Right. So it gave me more leverage to negotiate the contract. So if you have um, leverage or if you have traction, uh, they're more willing to negotiate the contract. But again, if there are pitch competitions out there, and there are, there's a lot of money out there right now, but you have to put together a deck and, you know, find someone who can coach you through the process and get out there and find some money so you don't have to pay for it for your, by yourself. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Use OPM, other people's money, essentially. Congratulations again. That's a, that's a big deal. I have a question for you because you, you, you now, you, you might be able to tell now. Um, a lot of people say that the entry barrier to SaaS is extremely high today. That competition is extremely high. And I look a bit at the SaaS space and a lot of it is SaaS for SaaS, marketers trying to build another MarTech tool. It's a very crowded space. Of course, every developer out there, including myself, has already built their own to-do app, obviously. It's obligatory. If you haven't done that, you're not an actual software developer. So question back to you. Do you really think there's a high entry barrier for, for SaaS? Or does it rather need a good idea in a distribution channel? I think there's a downside to immersing yourself into the marketplace as well. It's the echo chamber because you can get caught up in talking to other SaaS people versus talking to actual customers. And I would recommend staying away from crowded spaces. There are a crap load of Asanas and project management tools. There are a crap load of to-do lists. There are a crap load of location-based event type stuff. Like, you know, I mean, find a, again, maybe it takes you getting outside of your immediate circle 
finding a problem that that it really exists that someone's struggling with and and it's not so hard and you find things that people are complaining about outside of asana outside of slack outside of productivity type tools there's a whole world as a matter of fact i have two more ideas that are really solid that are literally just on the shelf waiting <laughs> because you know now that i'm focused on this i just want to do this but these are industries where where people are struggling with with this stuff and i'm like wow i could and i'm holding myself back from having my team sort of like hey can you work on this a little bit <laughs> because i go to the development world um when i need development you know help or i have development questions other than that i'm with people who actually have problems who are out there doing things in other industries because that's where you're going to win right so and the other part is you want to talk to people who aren't technical people because when you're talking to someone technical they're already trying to figure out like how can i develop this thing or whatever when you talk to people who aren't technical and they're just struggling through a process like the publishing industry hasn't had real innovation outside of writing tools and actually there is no other tool that goes end to end in publishing i talked to and again this is a fact of me immersing myself in the industry i met with penguin random house and they said this is the number one publishing company in the world i believe they're like aj you're solving a problem that everybody has just learned to deal with right but it's because i'm not listening to developers i'm listening to people who are writing books i'm listening to to those people so it's only crowded if you're in a circle of people who are trying to solve the same problem fish where the fish are not where the fishermen are Mm, very, very valuable. I think this is so true. Thank you so much for this. This has been a pleasure. Where can people find out more about you and Bluxy? I'm on Instagram at AJ Joyner, A-J-J-O-I-N-E-R. And Bluxy is at Bluxy Books, B-L-O-O-K-S-Y Books. And man, I cannot stress how much you've helped me. I've bragged about you to so many different people. But if you need a development team, or you're struggling with the team that you're, and he's not paying me for doing this, but <laughs> just but, for the record, <laughs> thank but, you. But, but honestly, man, your help sort of catapulted me into like real motion because I was sort of spinning my wheels with those, with that particular development team. Now I feel like I'm off to the races and even, you know, with the 120 K they're recommending, I have developers that they recommend and they're going to try to find free developers in the U.S. And I'm like, eh -eh. <laughs> I want to keep the same, even if I have to continue to pay, I'd rather pay the team that I have because we have a relationship now. They're brainstorming ideas and sending them to me based on how they can make things better. Right. But Victor, you've been very helpful um, and you've literally turned my business completely around. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for doing this. I thank you so much for these kind words. I I just I, I didn't even expect that, right? So it's not why I'm why I'm doing what I do with the show. Thank you so much. Thanks again for coming on. I wish you all the best with your business. It can you know it, it can just go upwards from here, right? Uh, it's gonna be a nice journey, and hope to speak soon. Thank you so much, man. This show is brought to you by Trustshoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process 
and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to trustshoring.com.